Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Kicking off a, um, a mini fall series with you today. How timely, right? First day of fall officially yesterday. And uh, still the 10-day forecast looking a little bit like summer. So we need to pray for that. Um, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna look this morning, um, and I've entitled today's lesson "Back to the Garden." So today we're gonna be talking about kind of going back to Genesis a little bit, um, digging into some not so great news uh, as we look back to that, and then the the following uh, the following lesson we're gonna take a look at some of the places that we when we run to when these things start to happen in our lives and then we'll wrap it up uh, with the last message talking about where we should run to. Um, but today we're going to dive in, talking to you from this title back to the garden, Genesis chapter two. If you turn with me there, I'll read just a few verses of scripture to you. Genesis two, begin reading at verse number 15, very familiar portions uh, of scripture very familiar story. The Bible says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Uh, all right, so we're going to be jumping in this morning. God bless you. You may be seated. Kind of want to begin this morning um, kind of reorienting around the idea of uh, the gospel and what the gospel is. You hear that word a lot in church, gospel, and uh, we use it a lot, and so um just kind of want to start by defining it for you. The word gospel is from the Greek. It's a Greek word, and uh, it is the Greek word is euangelion, and it's where we get the word evangelism from, which means good news. How many of you are thankful for good news today? The good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news news. It's not, it's not bad news. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, this verse talks about how wonderful it is to be the person who carries good news to people who need to hear some good news. Messengers with good news, the Bible says, have beautiful feet. And so understanding that the gospel is good news, I think should help all of us a little bit, uh, maybe help us be a little bit more cheerful, uh, maybe even a, a little bit nicer to hang out with because preaching and evangelizing are nothing more than sharing the good news. Amen sharing the good news with people that need to hear it. If you have the gospel message 
Friend, what you should have is you should have joy in your life. If, if you preach the gospel, but there is not great joy, I'd say there's a problem with the gospel that you're proclaiming because the Bible lets us know it's good news. It's good news. We have good news. But here's something to consider. And again, we're, we're, we're digging into this uh, this morning. Here's something for us to consider if we're, if we're talking about good news, right? For news to be good, it has to invade, it has to march into bad spaces, bad areas. You follow what I'm saying here this morning? For, for, for good news to occur, it has to invade places where there's some bad things going on, some bad situations, all right? So, you, you know, you get the report from the doctor that you're healthy, and you're like, whoo, that's, that's good news, amen. If you ask somebody to marry you and they say yes, that's good news, right? Right? <laughs> it's good news because there was a possibility of them saying no, which would have been bad news. So, uh, so in order for us to fully understand the good news, we kind of have to begin first with understanding that there's, there's some bad news, all right? And so just FYI, so we can kind of adjust the thermostat this morning and adjust our expectation, today what I'm, what I'm tackling is the bad side of this, okay? So uh, if you came in like, man, I just really need a happy chipper message this morning, Wrong Sunday for me anyways, all right? Maybe Brother Rice will save us this morning on the second portion of the service, but uh, if you came in today thinking, man, I really want to be encouraged, this is the wrong Sunday for you to be an adult Bible study class. So, because we're going to be looking at some stuff today, we're going to be really laying down this, this bad space, the bad news, and, and then from there, I think if we do that and we do it correctly, I think it will make the good news look all the more glorious, which it is. Amen. Uh, plus the reality for everyone uh, in this room and just in society, this is where we actually live. We are accustomed to bad news. We're accustomed to it. It's nothing new anymore to read a headline, to see something in the news. And, and really, you know, we say it, uh, but maybe we've lost a little umph with it because it's just we're so accustomed to how messed up the world is. We see something in society, and we're like, man, this, this world is broken. Then we just kind of move on, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really impact because it's kind of our norm to see weird and obscure headlines that you come across, right? We understand that the world is broken, and I believe I referenced it a couple months ago, maybe on a midweek service, that there are some people that are really dialed in to the fact that this world is broken, primarily because of where they work, right? The job that they have. You think of doctors, you think of police officers, you think of uh, uh, social workers that, and, and psychologists and people that are seeing it firsthand of how messed up the world is. But for, for most of us, we're not really dialed in like that. We're not really tuned in. We have two things that work for us in regard to the brokenness of the world. Every once in a while, there'll be an event that happens that makes our focus sort of shift a little bit, and we'll all together just collectively 
This world is a mess. This world is dark. This world, there's a lot of evil out there. Primarily, though, how we operate to the world being broken is we kind of have this, uh, this kind of low-grade kind of gnawing inside of us, this desire for something more while not quite being sure what that more is. And so there's something deep inside of all of us that's kind of like, there has to be more than this. There has to be more than the headlines that I'm reading, Bryce. There has to be more than the wickedness that I'm seeing. For his. There is a void inside each and every one of us, a spot that needs filled, a void that has a desire for more. We're not going to talk about that today, sort of a plug for the next lesson this morning. Again, bad news. Just kind of keep that expectation there. There's a, if you go back to the Bible in the beginning, there's a rhythm that is established in Genesis 1 and 2, and it goes something like, God created this, God created this, God created that, and it was good. Amen. It's, it's rhythmic, okay? So ultimately, we have God on the, on the canvas of creation, painting a world that is not the world that you and I are inhabiting today. In, in the middle of this spectacular creation, creation is at perfect peace. And I like to kind of think of it in regard to rhythm. If you, if you like music and you listen to live music, if everybody is playing uh, what they should be playing, it should be nice, right? There should be a rhythm to it. There should be a flow to it. But if some dude gets off, it's noticeable, right? The rhythm gets thrown off. The clapping gets thrown off. The words and people singing, and this guy's on verse one, and we started the chorus already. It becomes a mess, right? But if everything is in going how it's supposed to do, there's a rhythm, and it's beautiful. And we see that in the Bible, the Bible puts this in rhythmic terms, and it kind of helps me to think of, uh, uh, think God created everything in harmony and, and, and rhythm. He takes the man, the Bible says. He takes the woman, and he puts them in the garden, and he gives them one rule. Everybody say one rule. One rule. Now think to yourself, how hard is that? And, and it's not even like an ambiguous rule, right? God's not like put him in the garden and be like, you know what? Show some respect. That could be interpreted a million different ways, right? There are a million ways to do that or to not do that. It's kind of clear cut for us. Don't do this. It's just one rule. And here's the rule. The Bible says that took him, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So let me, let me lay this out before us this morning. This is, that's one rule. It's not complex. God has created everything beautifully. God has put rhythm into it. If we had time to dig into the story, here's what you have. You have a man and you have a woman who are put into a perfect world. There's no death. There's no disease. There's no sickness, no pain, no shame, no sorrow. 
God tells them, be my rule. The whole world is yours. Just don't touch that tree. That's not heavy-handed, is it? That's a pretty sweet deal if you're asking me. I mean, I think we could all agree that's a pretty fair deal. Absolutely. You know, some people have asked the question, they've even often wondered why God even put the tree there in the first place. Why does God even do that? Why does God create a situation? Why did God even make it possible? Why is the tree even there? Here's what I think. Now, listen, listen. I, I know there are a lot of observations that can be drawn from this. You know, God put it there because ultimately we have a choice and we must choose to do the right over wrong and so on. Here's what else I think. And this is speculation. It's not, it's, this is not the word of God. Here's why, here's why I think the tree is there. I think that the tree is there to ingrain in us from day one that obedience to God brings joy, that submission to the commands of God are a good thing. Think about what has happened. You're my rulers, helpmate. All the trees are yours, all the mountains, all the rivers, it's all yours. Be my rulers, but don't touch this. If they would have just obeyed, look at all that they had surrounding them. Look at the joy that would have been brought to them. And some of us need to hear this this morning. We need to stop sometime and smell the roses and, and for just a moment and take a look at all that we do have instead of letting the devil lie to us and say, look at all that you don't have and realize all that we actually do have. If you've repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's what the Scripture calls obeying the gospel. Stop for just a moment and realize the joy that you have or should be having because obedience will bring that joy. And that, that still, obedience is what? Better than sacrifice. It, obedience brings satisfaction. It brings joy. So, unfortunately, Adam and Eve have the intention span of my almost two-year-old who's hyped up on sugar because we don't get just a few verses into this thing, and this whole thing just unravels completely. All right, so in Genesis, in Genesis 2, you have Eve walking in the garden, and uh, you have her, I'll say, passive husband who's with her, uh, Adam's not helping the situation at all. He, he's, not, he's not doing... Ultimately, they walk into the garden. Serpent starts lying to Eve and presents the lie to this day that we all buy into. Did God say that you, you couldn't? Did God say you couldn't have the fruit of that tree? Did God really say that? Yeah, he said... He said we can't eat it or touch it or we'll, we'll die. That's not true. He knows that if you do that, then you'll be just like him, knowing both good and evil. I said this a while back. It's amazing. They were already like him. Here it is. You'll be just like him, and God knows that. By the way, it, just point this out, Adam is there the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, you're reading this like, what's the guy doing? 
was it was he was he on his phone was it you know seriously what's he doing in this moment and i think adam's like look at this and oh look i i named that and i named that and the pigeon and i named that one the dove eve i named all of this stuff what are you doing adam your wife is standing there getting lied to everything is at stake and this guy's just staring off into the cloud just completely absent in the moment and so when eve sees that it's pleasing to the eye and good for food, the Bible lets us know that she takes it and she eats it and she hands it to her husband. This always amazed me, Brother Warren. There are no questions being asked. You ever just walk in the kitchen and your wife just has a porch like, here, taste this. Does anybody just blindly do that? Just go, just full trust, like trust fall into this. I got, I got questions. Right? There are, there are no questions out of Adam. I, I don't know about anybody, but I don't let my wife just, just feed me just anything. And, it, and I'm not saying I think that she would try to poison me or do something to hurt me or anything. I don't have any fears like that. I'm just really careful about the food that I eat. There is a, there's an interrogation process first that goes like, you know, whatever food that is being offered at the end of a fork to try, it's, there's, a, there's some questions. How long have we had this in the fridge? When did you buy this? You all know how weird I am with expiration dates. I don't like milk. On the expiration day, it's done. Some of you are like, no, it's Best Buy. No, I want what's greater, okay? So, but there's, a, there's some questions being asked, like, what is this? What's the texture like? What's, you know, is it going to gross me out? What, just tell me what it is. No, there's none of this. Just try it. Just try it. Just, no, there's, I'm not doing that. We got to figure this out. And, and, and so we go through, Adam doesn't ask anything. Eve's just like, here. He doesn't ask a question. And at that moment, church, outright rebellion is declared against the king of glory, and everything shatters. All that place, all that rhythm at every level of the universe shatters. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. From what? From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There is not, to me, a more heartbreaking verse than this in all of Scripture. Before sin enters into the world, you have what? You have no hiding. You have no shame. You have what? You have outright joy in the presence of God. And now what has happened? Now there's shame. Now there's understanding. Now there's understanding of nakedness. They run, the Bible says, and they run and they hide. If you go on reading in chapter 3, Adam begins to blame it on the woman, the woman that you gave me. And all of a sudden we read of how the curse comes and pain is multiplied for the woman in childbirth and the ground is cursed. And what we're reading in this text is a complete reordering of creation 
and how God designed it to be into what you and I are experiencing today. Here's, here's what you have. You have creation itself reordered and, and fractured. That were, there is now strife where there, where there used to be peace. Where there used to be rhythm that, and, and, and peace. And, and now you have a world that is literally in chaos. Now you have unbelievable violence where there was no violence before. In fact, we now, we know this to be true because Romans 8 says that all of creation, creation was subjected to vanity. We also read in Romans 8 how all of creation is experiencing the pains of childbirth. Now, I have never experienced the pain of childbirth. I've been in the room on three occasions. It looks awful. Ladies, thank you. Um, we'll move on. Um, but the Bible says that all of creation has been subjected to vanity. That means hard pressed. It's, it's not what it used to be. It's not the world that it used to be. It used to be full and now it has been hard pressed. It has been pressed down into futility and then it's experiencing the pain of childbirth. The world, the Bible's letting us know, is in pain. The prophet Isaiah said, deserts will bloom like roses and mountaintops will produce sweet wine. So you have creation restored when God's redeeming work is done. But for now, what you have is brokenness. You have violence. We didn't have to read long before you saw the relational chaos that was introduced into the experience of man and woman upon sin entering into the world. It's inter Interesting to me that there's not a suitable helper in all of creation found for Adam. And so God gives him a helpmate. The greatest gift given to man outside of God himself was the woman. And what we read in Genesis is God puts Adam to sleep. He forms Eve and then Adam wakes up, rubs his eye, and then bam, there's a woman there in front of him. Even what he names her is significant. Adam goes on and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I will call her woman. If you do a little study on that word, it means out of me. It literally can be translated, and this is beautiful, mine. It could be translated as mine. Adam looks at everything and he's like, that's a dove, that's a pigeon, that's a cat, that's a camel. But but that right there is mine. And all of a sudden you have the honeymoon phase, which lasts about a chapter because God says, who told you you were naked? And Adam says, that woman that you gave some fruit, he just throws her right under the bus so quickly. She's mine. She's amazing. My help, man. She did it. <laughs> it was 
that woman you gave me gave me some fruit. And here's what I want you to notice about the, the, the nature of relationships. Notice in this narrative, and I'm going to ask our music to come, that nobody will own it. It's, it's, it's the woman that you gave me. She, she's like, it was the snake. It's like nobody is ever responsible. And what this does is this creates havoc in relationships if no one is ever to blame. Relationships are blown up now. Pain is now amplified. And do you see that? He says your pain will increase in childbirth. And I don't think that just has to do with childbirth. Although I've already said, ladies, I have mad respect. I think all pain is now turned up a degree or two. So in the world that Adam and Eve created, you now have all of these relational issues that, guess what, did not exist before them. How about this one? Work is actually now work. You know, I've heard people say, man, Bryce, I wish Adam had never messed up, man. Then, then I wouldn't have to go. I wouldn't have to go to work. No, you're reading it wrong. God created men to work. Way before sin was entered into the world. You read it. He placed man in the garden to work it so work is not sinful work is a gift from God men were designed to work I believe there is nothing more dangerous than a man that is bored that's why God makes it and creates it this way he wants to make sure men don't get bored Work hard, provide for your family, to love, to serve your wife and children. Do that. It's a good thing. This is how God created it. It's how God established it. Some people are like, well, Bryce, what if my wife makes more money than I do? Well, cha-ching, Jack. But that doesn't give you an excuse to play video games all day. You've been designed by God to work and to work hard. But what happens here in this text, hard work becomes weary. It now becomes exhausting. And it wasn't to be that way. Work wasn't supposed to be exhausting, but now it is. The call to come and die, which is the call on the life of man, is now an exhausting one. And all we were meant to work on will now war against us. There was going to be a time that, that work didn't produce thorns and it didn't produce thistles. But that day is now gone. That's the old world, not the world that you and I live in and are seeing today. Then you have the big one here. Stand with me, if you will, this morning. So your pain is now multiplied in childbirth. Work is, ex is exhausting. 
and you're going to be weary through it all. And then you get to this last one. From dust you came, and to dust you will return. Now, all of a sudden, we have the reign of death ruling over man. This is what you feel, church, when you feel like something is not right. Maybe that's working itself out as depression. Maybe it's working itself out as anxiety or, or fear or enslavement, if you will, to something. But what you're feeling in that moment is there's something at the soul level that according to Ecclesiastes says, where our souls somehow remember Genesis 1, 2, and 3. According to Romans 8, they groan in eager, longing along with all of creation for things to be restored. We groan and travail it in pain now. There's a feeling inside of all of us that says, this isn't right. What we're experiencing isn't right. This isn't how it was designed. This isn't how it was supposed to be. And we need something. We need something to fix this mess. We need something to make this right. We need someone to come and fix it all. That void inside of all of us that I referenced earlier that says there's more. That's what this is. That's what the garden experience has, has taught us, that, that there used to be peace. There used to be a place as God created, but that place is not what we are experiencing, but there's something in us that says that we got to get back to that. That there is a place. There's a place where you can find peace. There's a place that you can find joy in the midst of all of the evil and the darkness that we are experiencing. We can find a place. We can be hidden in a place. We can find out that there actually is more. And so in the meantime, we seek and we try to redeem, to reconcile we try to rescue ourselves, and I'm leading up to the, the next portion of this series. Here's what we do. We do as Adam and Eve did. We run to places that will never, ever work. Something is wrong, so we think to ourselves, I've got to fix it. I, I'm the one who's got to fix it. I'm the one who's got to clean this up. I'm the one who's got to make, I got to find the more that's out there desperately trying to find the solution to our soul problem. And we learn to run, but we run to the wrong places. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Close your eyes and maybe just as the music softly plays, would you just, just talk to the Lord in this place? And if you're searching this morning, I, 
you don't have to search very far. There's a lot that's wrong. We could sit down and we could, we could talk about the brokenness for hours upon hours, but through it all, there is a place, there is an area, there's a space that you can get to where you can find that fulfillment that you're longing for. But right now, we deal with what, what, what is going on. We deal with the brokenness. We're not changing that. Nothing is changing that. God will ultimately make it all right. But today, we're just uncovering the bad news. But I promise you that if we have a good understanding of the bad news, it's going to make hearing the good news all the more glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.